Good morning. How are you guys? My name's Scott. I'm the discipleship pastor, the associate pastor, the, the toilet fixer, the, the, the jerk, whatever you want to call me. Um, I introduced myself to somebody new earlier, and uh, it's just kind of whatever, whatever I can do is what I get to do. So um, I'm glad you're here this morning. As you just heard, Steve is back in the, in the village doing his turn uh, helping change dirty diapers or something. Uh, so more power to him. Um, you guys are stuck in here with me. I don't know which is worse. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll hopefully be better in a dirty diaper. But um, I want to uh, we're going to take this morning and talk about this upcoming plan that we're going to dive into this fall. Um, we're going to dive into a, a season of studying the book of Ephesians. And we've entitled this study the plan because the plan is really what this is about. This is a this is a, a book. Uh, written by uh, a letter written by Paul to the church of Ephesus. And it is it is this incredibly rich, theologically rich six chapter book that we're going to dive into. And in 10 weeks in the fall, starting the week of September 10th, um, we're going to dive into this and, and, and probably only get through the first three chapters this fall. So it's going to be this amazing piece. But I want to talk to you a bit this morning about what this what this looks like and what this plan is about. But I want to again by asking you a question, you know, why do you come to church? And I want you to think about it a second. Why do you come to church? What's the purpose? What's your plan? Is it to be able to come and have some biblical instruction and be able to hear solid teaching of aspects of a, of a standard in which you're called to you know, live your life? Is it that you can come and have some spiritual food for yourself you know, during the week? Is it some level of personal spiritual satisfaction that you're looking for and kind of connecting and charging your batteries? Um, you know, I think I think anything's possible or there's some points maybe you're trying to store up, you know, it's like God, you know, I'm doing my best to kind of come and do my thing. And, and what I want you to hear this morning is we're going to we're going to look at these part of what we're going to cover in these first three chapters of Ephesians and kind of hear this this plan. You, you see, the, the, the reality is the first thing that we see in this book of Ephesians, we're going we're gonna to look at these first uh, ver- in two verses, verses 3 and verse 4 in chapter 1. Verse 3, Paul says, Praise be to God and uh, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight and love. Now think about that for a second. Paul is declaring to the church, and this is not just the church of Ephesus. This, this book was written, and we'll, you'll hear more about it as we lead up to it. This was a letter to be spread to the churches, to be passed around of an understanding of who the church is and who the church is called to be. So it's an incredibly important book for us as a church to dive into if we're going to be a part of God's great plan to truly be the church that we should be. Because we've all come to know a church that we've all grown up with culturally. And it's amazing to me in being in full-time ministry for 17, 18 years now, just how cultural our Christianity can be. You really start to see this and that bubble starts to burst a little bit when you do you know, mission work or you get outside our culture and our our country that you that you see other expressions of the church in the world. But who are we created to be? Who are we called to be? Because in what Paul is saying here is that in Jesus Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. 
Now, think about what that could mean. Because that doesn't mean some blessings, like every spiritual blessing. And we have to understand this reality and the perspective that that this book is being taught from and that we as the church embrace. Because when we hear Jesus say in John 10, 10, he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came in that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, it's important to understand that the Greek that is written in in this passage, this term life. Is there, there's more than one term for life in the Greek. And this, we tend to read this and we think we just kind of have one word for life. And that's this life that we live. But in the Greek, there were, there were, there were a couple different terms. There's this bios term, which is your physical life, biology, you know, your, your biological life. But there's also this term zoe life. And your zoe life was your spiritual life. Now, anybody want to take a guess which, which life? Zoe. Jesus said, I came that you might have spiritual life. You might have Zoe life and have it to the full. Now, that might change your perspective of what your expectations are for Jesus and what he came to bring you. Does that mean you can't have a full life physically? No. It just means that Jesus is promising that he's giving you a full life spiritually. And as you have a full life spiritually, I think you'll find a fullness come to your physical life. But our attitude and perspective and the prosperity gospel might be trying to say that you should expect a fullness of biological life in this world. And it's just not a reality biblically. There's suffering, there's hardship, there are difficulties, there are ailments, there are diseases. But the reality is Jesus came that you and I might have a full spiritual life. And, and Paul is just picking up here and saying that he came and he gave every spiritual blessing. And the reality is, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, who knows how long ago the world was created? I don't. We have guesses and we have theories and we have schools of thought. But the reality is... Here, if we believe God's word to be true, then we recognize that the Lord had a plan for you and me. And he chose you before the creation of the planet. And had an intention in thinking you and I up before the creation of the planet for you and I to be able to be empowered by these spiritual blessings. Commentators would say that this this book of Ephesians is about is primarily about about two things. It's about power and about identity. About power and about identity. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So the first thing we're going to look at is this is this power that we have on display before us. You see, this power that we're to experience, if you think about power, primarily power gives you the ability to see change. You put your finger on a light switch and you put an action before that. What do you expect to happen? Electricity, power to flow into that light bulb and Take a thing that was dark, a place that was dark and become light, right? Or vice versa. Flip the switch off and it, you know, from from light to dark. You know, think about this. Think about the the tools that we have at our disposal today that weren't even existent, you know, 100 years ago. Hydraulics, for instance. You know, it used to take 100 men, you know, a full day to, to blow this, to chip through this granite rock. And to break it up into smaller pieces to be able to be hauled away. And now a bulldozer can come along with hydraulics and and pound through this rock and pick it up and move it along in, in a matter of minutes. Power gives us the ability to do things that we can't do on our own. 
these tools that we have, like laser surgery, for heaven's sakes. I mean, the ability for a surgeon, you know, a skilled surgeon to be able to take a laser and to cut into somebody's eye and help them be able to see better. This tool is a powerful instrument. I mean, you could go on and list thing after thing after thing. And do you realize that we have power in the name of Jesus in every spiritual blessing and how much of who we are is living to discover that power and to walk in that power? You see, power in in Scripture and power primarily biblically, not the only way, but primarily is about dominion. It's about dominion. So if Jay, where is Jay? My neighbor, Jay Goodman, sitting right back here in the back, lives across the cul-de-sac. If Jay wants to come over and borrow my shovel, I don't have a problem with that. And he knows me well enough to know that my shovel is outside and he needs to dig a hole. He can come over and, and borrow it. I trust Jay. He's not going to steal it. But if I go looking around for my shovel and I walk over to Jay's house and I see that Crawford's written the name on the name of this, this, you know, this shovel, then what do I have the right to do? It's my rake. I have dominion over my rake. It has my last name written on my rake. And so if I want to, I can pick up my shovel and I can take it back to my house and dig my own hole. Right. I have the power because of the dominion of ownership over this thing to take and repossess this shovel and take it back to my house. When did God think you and I up? Before the creation of the world. And he comes in the form of a child who ultimately grows up and lives his life and dies on a cross to display his dominion and to take back what was his. That the people that he created and the people that he thought of, that he has a plan for in this world that he created, that he exercises his power and dominion over and his power and dominion through as we become the church You see, we, the church, are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit to do God's will, to demonstrate and to have the dominion of God be a a relevant and true and empowering movement on this planet. And that's who the church is called to be. So let me ask you again, why do you come to church? Is it to be educated in, in solid biblical teaching? Or is to be a part of the plan that God had for you even before the world was created? You see, the first thing that we have to understand if we're going to truly be the church is that we have so many cultural things that we're used to and that we think church is about primarily, you know, Sunday morning. And you have to have this building that you go to and there's this gathering and that's all biblical and that's good. But even as we're thinking about building a building on a piece of property, you know, I mean. The reality of building a building that is that people come to on Sundays and maybe another day of the week or Wednesday and having this be a two day a week thing. Well, where's that a biblical reality? Is there a gathering for the church to have? Yes. But I mean, it's just as biblical for that to take place in the city square, in the marketplace, if not more biblical. So. We have to be able to look at and recognize these things that have shaped our view of Christianity and shaped our reality. And then take this book that we're going to be diving into in Ephesians and say, what does the Lord say that the church should be? Because I think there are going to be some real eye opening moments. And I think those eye opening moments should be very refreshing because in these eye opening moments, there are things that were in the dark that the Lord 
flips a switch and opens our eyes to, as we see in this passage, when Paul prays for us to have eyes to see. So there is this power for you and I to experience. There's this power for you and I to be able to dive in and understand what these spiritual blessings are. And mostly when we think about power in the church, we tend, we, a lot of us have a kind of a tendency toward a, a charismatic realm in the reality of, of their signs and wonders and miracles that should be taking place. If you look at the signs and the wonders and the miracles that are taking place in Jesus' ministry, what were those? What was the purpose of those being done? Why did Jesus perform those miracles? To display. I mean, he has the man lowered before him. We hear we we we, we can read in Luke. We have this man lowered before him on a mat. His friends, you know, you're all familiar with the story. His friends came and tore up the roof and lowered him before him. And what did Jesus say to the man? He said, you know, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees are are sitting around like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Only God can forgive sins. Who are you to be able to forgive sins? Which was harder for Jesus to do, to forgive sins or to heal this man and tell him to stand up and walk? Any guesses? Most of us would think, you know, I think or we could could get caught into thinking, well, Having a crippled man be able to stand up and walk would be a pretty amazing thing. I can't do that, right? But who of us has the ability to forgive sins? And so Jesus says, let me demonstrate the dominion, the power that the Lord has given me, that, the, that he has given man, you know, the son of man, the ability to forgive sins. Stand up, take up your mat and walk. He, Jesus has been given power. And authority and dominion over sin. And friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news for you and for me. Because we were born into this life of bios. And all we knew was bios. All we have a perspective of is bios. Because of the sin in our lives, we are spiritually dead. But because of Christ and his spirit that he sent to live within us, we can become spiritually alive. And in that spiritual life, something that was dead becomes alive. And there's a power. There's a change that had to take place. There is a power that took place in Jesus' dry bones three days into this thing that said, I've got to come out as we were singing the song. You know, these bones will cry out. These bones had to cry out and they came to life again. There was a power that the Father in heaven demonstrated in the resurrection of Son that no man could do in and of himself. And friends, we are just dead bones apart from the Spirit of God to come and breathe life into us spiritually. And this is who we're called to be as a church. And as we're called to be this as a church, it's not just something for us to receive. It's something for us to display. It's something for us to demonstrate. That in Jesus Christ, in the Spirit of God, moving through you and through me, in the body, we have authority over sin. Because of Him. All authority in heaven, on earth, on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says, just before the Great Commission. Matthew 28. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus wants to continue to display his power, his dominion, his authority in your life and my life. And that means change. That means change. That means change from this bios life that we live, this logical way of living and thinking and and reasoning and justifying and understanding of what things are, are to be. And a change into becoming and growing and maturing as the spiritual person that we're called to be. So number one, if we're going to have this life, 
that we are to live, this bios life, then number one, we have to be able to recognize and see, and this is just an overview of what we're going to be getting into in this 10 weeks, that there is a power that we are to experience. Number two, there is an identity that we are to, to be able to step into and own. Now, when you're thinking identity, you're thinking, you know, we mostly think about, okay, this identity in Christ. And Paul goes way beyond this identity that you and I think of. You know, um, is Sarah, Sarah, Seaver, would you stand up a minute? Deborah, would you stand up? This is Deborah and Sarah Seaver. They don't know I'm going to ask him to stand up. You know, uh, would anybody guess that they're related? Okay. Thank you very much. That was all I needed. Would anybody guess that these two people are related to each other, right? I mean, she's her little mini-me over here, right? And I know, I know Deborah fairly well. I've gotten to know Sarah a little bit this summer. And, and they even act alike. You know, they think alike. They talk alike. I'm like, y'all, you are your mother's daughter. I've told her that several times, you know. And, and that's because they share this DNA. Well, the DNA that we have in the kingdom is the same DNA that exists in the Trinity. And this connection that we see in the Trinity, this DNA of the Trinity, is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit live in community together. Like, they're not individual beings that are separate and, and opposed or, or isolated and alone from each other. They are this commune together, this communion that they have with one another, looking to serve and honor and respect and, and consider the other person more than themselves and laying down themselves on the benefit of each other. They are looking to live in community. There is nothing disunifying about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not in argument with Jesus Christ over whether or not he can manifest himself, you know, and do signs and wonders on the earth. And the Father over there saying, well, no, I don't want you to do that. There is no disunity among them. They share this heart. They live in complete unity and there is no fraction or disunity among them. Paul says there is but one spirit. Jesus Christ came and did away with this hostility that exists among you Jews and you Gentiles. And he's not just talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about Christians. Those of you who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and have the Spirit of God, there is but one Spirit. There is no disunity. You see, if you're a person who really likes kind of isolation and doing your one-on-one Christianity thing, if you really look at this reality that we're going to dive into and say, okay, well, I like coming to church and I feel really good about me and Jesus and I've got a really solid Christianity, Paul would say, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. There's no such thing biblically. There is just community. It's all inclusive language. It's not a you. It's a we. It's an us. As we read through these passages, you're going to hear. This is what you're going to hear. That there is this communal reality. There is this identity that we are to have because of the identity of Jesus Christ. It is the identity of the Spirit. It is the identity of the Father. That they live in unity together. And yet, your experience and my experience in our bios version of church has been what? This unity. Hurt feelings. Hurt people. If we're going to be the church that Paul is laying out here before us, that that he is unpacking this mystery of the gospel, that as he says it, this reality of this revelation that was given to him by the Spirit of God of who the church can be, if we're going to live in the reality of really being the church, friends, then we have to be a community. Now, 
there may be some 250 of you sitting before me this morning. And, and you know what? I, I may get to a point that I know every, every one of your first names, but I can't know what's going on in your life in detail. But I can get to know what's going on in Jay's life. And Jay and Mark and, you know, Doug and I can, can meet together and, and get to really know what's happening in one another's lives. And we can, we can participate in life together and have community where we're encouraging and building each other up. You see, community is about being able to have this unity that you're choosing to have with other Christians and being a part of the body. And collectively, we make up a whole as we come together. Because as we see in this passage that we are built on this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, our foundation. And this, listen, to what, listen to what this verse says. We have this inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 14. Those who are in possession of, of this praise. Wait, I lost my place. Sorry. Chapter 2, um, verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. As we find community, little pockets of community together that we're embracing and encouraging and opening our lives to one another, and we come together, it is His body that He wants to possess. It is the dwelling place He wants to live and have His power displayed among us. And that is what the experience in the church should be. But unfortunately, you and I have grown up in a culture that division for a long time has been a, a, a trademark and a thumbprint on the church. And I think, I think it grieves the heart of God. It was not his plan. It's the plan of the enemy to come and steal, kill, and destroy. It's his plan to come give life and give it to the full. And I'll tell you this, and please hear this. If you hear anything I say about community today, hear this. Number one. It is God's plan. If it is his plan, it is our responsibility. If it is our responsibility, then we have to choose unity. Because the enemy will come to steal, kill, and destroy and give you plenty of justification of why you should be able to walk away and find division. But unity is not found in the lack of conflict. Unity is not found in a lack of conflict. Unity is a choice in the midst of conflict to move to a place of unity. And it requires a people that are empowered by love to put down their pride and to put down their sin and to allow the reign of God, the power of God, bring change in our hearts that it is not about me and the offense that I found in how you sinned against me or how you hurt me. I, I'm given biblical instruction of how I'm to go about when a brother sins against you. I'm to come and make him aware of that sin with the intent to win him over. That is the intent to come back to a place of unity. Only friends, please hear this. Only if we, you individually, take responsibility to step into a place of choosing unity and community and be a spiritual family. Should we expect God to move in full power? Because where you aren't willing to step into unity, where you're not willing to lay down your pride over an offense, you should not expect God to move in power. Because you're already going against the plan. You see, this movement of his power comes with this reality of 
us being responsible to become and to grow into and to be molded and to move and take steps of maturity to be the people that he's causing us to be. And he's calling us to be. And that only really happens when we find ourselves in community. That only really happens when I'm sitting with Jay on the front porch and I'm sharing my insecurity. I'm sharing this concern that I have. And an insecurity is just like this, this lie you know, it has a, so much truth behind it that, you know, you know, I'm not a good looking guy. Right. And it's just I, I realize I'm not a good looking guy. Right. That's ninety nine percent true. Right. But I'm not the ugliest guy on the planet either. And so having a brother be able to speak and just be able to speak against this lie that I'm believing that I'm really an ugly person and Jay be able to say, no, you are not an ugly person. I'm just I'm using this as a weak analogy. Right. This is. You are not an ugly person. Only in community is there a second voice being spoken to that lie because it sounds so true, but it's not true because it's twisted just a little bit. This is how the enemy works. He wants to just twist that truth just a little bit that it becomes this hook that's just in you and it's got you. But in community, truth can be spoken of that lie and say, no, that is a lie. And suddenly a light switch has just come on and what was in the dark now just came into the light and I find light. Because a brother was willing to be community to me. Now, how many of you have that in your life on a on a daily or at least weekly basis? Do you have people that are marked to be community in your life and that you are being community to that are going to speak truth into your life and have these wrinkles in our soul ironed out? It will only happen when we step into being the church that Jesus Christ died on the cross to lead us for us to be. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but that wasn't the sermon that I heard growing up. I mean, I really bought, bought into this, you know, kind of moral, moral standard that we're to live by. That hey, it's okay with me and God, as long as me and God are good, we're good. And Paul's like, what are you talking about? And that's what we're going to dive into. The last thing, sorry, I'm getting all wound up in that. The last thing is this plan. We can see this. I'm I'm speaking to points through these first three chapters. In these first three chapters, we see this new reality. What is this reality? What is this spiritual reality we have? And then chapters four through six that we're going to get to some point in 2018 is how do I now live responsibly toward that reality? This is where Paul speaks of to husbands. Love your wives. Wives. Submit to your husband's children, obey your parents, slaves, right? There are these real practical things that Paul chooses to be able to lead us, to be able to choose to walk in this new reality. And that's that's in 2018. But right now we have this plan. We are to witness this plan unfold. You know, perhaps the main theme in the world is that things are falling apart. And I think you could go back to and you'll hear more when we get into the series. You know, you can go back to the moment that that fruit was picked from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's set in motion in the world that everything's falling apart. There's war. Societies are falling apart. Relationships are falling apart. Disease, hunger, death. But in Christ, everything can be made new. In chapter 3 of, uh, of Ephesians, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. I'm going to look at verse 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
His plan is that now in the church, now his people, now his body, empowered by his spirit to be able to display not just earthly realm, but in the spiritual realms that everything comes under the authority. Everything grows to become under the authority and dominion of Jesus Christ. We love for the signs and wonders. We love to be able to see manifestation of someone that has a broken bone healed or someone that was dead, resurrected or someone that, you know, had a one leg short of the other and you can watch it grow. We love seeing these displays of God's power, these manifestations of God's power. But the real foundation of the dominion of Jesus Christ is the power to overcome sin. So let me ask you, what is it in your life that the Lord wants to manifest his power and display his dominion over in your life? Because where that, does, where that is not about a transformation of our character formed in bios to grow, to become and live for the purpose spiritually, this Zoe life, where there's not a transformation of character into a likeness of Jesus Christ. To heck with your power. Jesus says, you know, whether you cast out demons or heal people or raise the dead, you know, it's about love. It is about this transformation of our hearts. It is about this transformation of our likeness of becoming his loving agents and being a people who choose one another rather than continually to choose the division or the the disunity that we so often find. It requires a commitment from you and from me. This is God's plan. This is what I want us to, to look at and, and, and unpack in this, this reality of his plan. We are to be a church. As John Stott, great theologian, gives commentary to over the book of Ephesians, to be a new society, unlike the world has ever seen. Imagine a group of 200 plus people choosing to live, seeking after God's dominion, his power to be true and real in the transformation of our character. His dominion being real. Dominion, authority over, like a king rules and reigns. He is Lord over our lives. And that's where you've heard this term, term if you've been in the church for so long, this surrender. Surrender is about, about who's in charge. Surrender is about authority. Surrender is about dominion. And so, yes, we surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ and we grow and take steps to mature, to experience his authority and display him as the authority over our life. And we continue to grow. This is his plan. There's this reality of this community that we step into, that we have people in our lives that are there and we're inviting them to challenge us, to speak truth into us, to build us up. To encourage us, to walk with us, to be in arms with us. You see, you can't do it on your own. You can try to live an individualistic reality of Christianity, but it won't be biblical reality of Christianity. And that's one of these cultural norms that, friends, if we're going to be the church that Jesus Christ is building here in Dallas Ackworth, our new property then we have to have a vision to be on board with his plan. So this fall, we're going to be stepping into this as a, as a, as a season and diving into this book. I hope that everyone will dive in and be a part of it. And this is how you can, you can step in and do, do a part. 
there's this new society we're to be. But to get on board, um, we're going to ask adults to meet in small groups. If you're new to the church, the first place to start, the first step is coming to Infusion or signing up to be a part of Infusion. It starts August 13th. Uh, Infusion is a three-week thing that we do for new people to the church. If you're here, you've heard us say this a, a dozen different times. But you're coming to someone's house to have dinner for three weeks with other new people to the church. And you meet with Steve and Randall and I each take a week and talk to you about the who vintage is and the values of who we are. And that is going to end just in time for you to be able to step into a small group that hopefully all the rest of us are choosing to be a part of. And I'm not trying to be manipulative to say that, you know, you should step into a small group if you're an adult. I'm just saying that's biblical. We call them small groups. The Bible calls them the body. And you have to participate and be an active member, giving your will to participate in the body in order to be the church that we're invited to be. And so that's not me being manipulative because I want to see you in groups. That's just me being a pastor and trying to shepherd and say, hey, if you if we're really going to be the church, that means everybody all in in pursuing and finding people that you can become community with. And so what we do in the fall is just this connection type group that it's a it's a 10 week piece starts the week of September 10th and ends the week of November 12th, the week before Thanksgiving. And you're going to meet once a week with a group of people that you may not know or know or whatever you sign up. And it's just. Listen, you're not getting, you're not diving in there and sharing your deep, dark secrets. This is a, a place to connect. Now, there's some groups that have been meeting for, for years and they're going to have a much deeper discussion. And there's a lot more trust built in those groups of things that are sharing in, in their lives than you do. But our goal and our hope is that that funnels down for you and you find some people in a relationship in time here that you're stepping into being community and finding a spiritual family with people here at Vintage 242. And some of you that have the hardest time doing this are the people that have been here the longest. Now, that might have stepped on your toes, but that's just true. So if you've been here a long time, you may need to rethink this thing. Wow. Why do I come to church? Why do I come to church? Because where we come to church to not participate in the plan, we're missing the church. And we're hurting the church because we're not being the church. Jesus wants to see you and have you experience the reality of his life in your heart. How can you say that you love your neighbors, you love yourself, if you only have a surface level relationship with people? How do we really know that we're really loving and, until that love really, truly costs us something? That it requires that type of love to get over an offense that we had? How do we really know that we can call ourselves sons and daughters of this king who is fully lives in this reality of unity? Because, see, where we like our individualization, where we like our little kind of separate self and those of us that, you know, are introverts like, well, I don't really like people that much. Well, you know, the reality is you're going to live in community for eternity. You might as well start getting some practice now, because if you don't grow to like it, you know, now you're not going to like heaven very much because we are just one in Christ getting to participate in that unity of God. So there's some kinks to kind of iron out and work out. And that leads us each to be challenged and to grow and to be able to love in a whole new way. What is the thing that's holding you back? His plan is clearly this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To put into effect... 
when the times have all reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Jesus Christ is still at work today. Empowering his spirit, his spirit is empowering us to bring things under his dominion, his rule and his reign. And one day that's going to come to fulfillment and one day that's going to come to completion. And his plan is to do that through the church. Empowered by his spirit. Are you willing to be that church? Will you pray with me? Jesus, right now I ask that you would, um, your spirit would stir. Lord, you know my heart is that it's, it, it matters not what my words are here. It is simply a matter of what your spirit does. So right now I pray that you would just move on people's hearts to surrender and give you a greater power in their lives, a greater dominion, a greater authority for you to truly be Lord. Lord, where our priorities are all mixed up. Sports teams have dominion. TV shows take dominion. Plans that we have, busy work to be done, take dominion. Lord, won't you walk us into your plan? Lord, where insecurities continue to whisper and steal and kill and destroy in individuals' lives who are separate and alone and don't have that friend, to be able to speak that truth over them, to flip the light switch on, I pray that your spirit would move and and bring people together. Lord, even randomly, just bring people together. That we... We experience your manifest presence as our characters and our lives change. Where wounds are healed. Demonstrate your power, Lord. Demonstrate your power in our lives, Lord. Lead us away from this independence. Lead us away from this pride. Lord, you have conquered sin and death. Now let us fix our eyes, our heart, our mind, our focus, our will to see your plan to overcome sin become the reality in our life. Where sin reigns, Lord, come in power. I pray that you move people's hearts to to engage your will, Lord. This is your plan, the plan to see all things come under your authority on heaven and on earth. Under one name, Jesus Christ, let there be nothing that stands apart, independent, prideful, sin, independence, scheduling, priorities. Let nothing stand as a priority over you to being the authority in our life, Lord. This is a choice that we make, and it is also a path that we walk down to grow in. But, Lord, would you begin today? Would you prepare our hearts for what you want us to embrace, your truth in your word? As it's given to this church in Ephesians, but it's this given to us as the people of God with one spirit as the deposit within us. You had this plan before the creation of the world, and we just say as your people, so be it. And may it be so with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
we're going to go into a time of um, a ministry time, and I'm going to ask those we have pairs of people that will be on my right and left that are here to be able to pray with you. If there's something that stood out to you, something that you know that that is opposed to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, that you just need to be able to confess. This isn't a place of judgment. This is a place of freedom. Then we invite you to come and just let one of these friends pray for you, or you can come and kneel before the altar and just leave that thing here. We also have communion over to my right and your left. A sign and remembrance of the dominion and the power of God displayed for the world to know and for you and I to experience and see in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who was dead and who is alive. And we know that by the seal and deposit he's given us in his spirit that comes and lives with us when we invite him and make him Lord of our lives. And we also have, you know, these two baskets on my right and left for, for offering. If that's a, a way that you plan and intend to worship this morning, there's also a box at the door in the back. I just encourage you to, to sit for a moment in, as, as they're leading us in a few moments of worship. And then they'll wrap things up in a minute and you're dismissed. But hopefully this morning, my heart and intent is for you to hear a reality of the gospel that may have hopefully just become a little bit more clear. Why do you come to church? Because Jesus Christ is very clear about his plan. Because it's been his plan a really long time. Now it's time for you and I to get on board. And be his hands and his feet. Be his community. And choose one another. Be blessed.